Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. I sure hope that you continue to remain engaged with us. This is a difficult time, but we will continue to persevere and week after week, we are committed to share the word with you. And I hope that you can dive in with us and explore the faith and deepen your faith. So with that in mind, I wanna start off with a question. If you grew up coming to church, do you remember asking your parents, wondering or even disputing, why do we have to go to church so often, maybe every Sunday? If you did not grow up attending church and you came to the church later on in life, did you ever ask, is it really necessary to attend church on a weekly basis? I was raised in a pastor's household. My dad was a pastor, so I came to church a lot. And raised in the 80s, there was a time when you would come to church on Sunday morning and then Sunday evening. So I, went, I would come to church twice in one day, 48 hours later, midweek service, maybe the following day a prayer meeting, and house visits, cell groups, which is what we now call small groups. So as you can see, I came to church a lot. And although it was a positive experience for me overall, there were times when I did feel or I sensed that church felt dull to me. And there were times when I would observe certain behaviors and I would see people singing in the sanctuary, loving one another, and then transition into the parking lot or into a meeting, slanging one another. And I would ask, what are we really doing here? And I think many of us have asked at some point, is it true? Is it truly necessary to be part of the church, a community of faith, as a way to nurture the faith and as a way to indicate that we are followers of Jesus Christ? I think that for many of us, the question of is it dull or doubting the necessity of being part of the church comes about when what should be a conviction is diluted or is distorted because there is a need to understand more deeply maybe what the Word of God says from beginning to end, Old Testament through the New Testament cohesively, how God spoke clearly of the need to draw people together to receive the transformation and to take that into the context of their lives. God was constantly speaking through all of the human narrative of the need to be part of the church or the community of faith. And then as Jesus established it as the body of Christ. So there is a need to understand the story, the history. I think doubt and or dullness in identifying ourselves may come about also when there is a need for healing because something negative has been experienced. And I think doubt or the dullness comes about 
if there's a need for an infusion of positive or purposeful experience in the church. So maybe you can resonate with one of these scenarios that I have stated, some or all. And I hope that you can keep that in mind. I invite you to consider what is happening right now in our communities. And I hope that you can see, as we're going to review the biblical narrative, how you can see how the church from its beginning endured highs and lows. And the biblical context, it reminds us how the church got derailed a few times, many times actually, how there was division within the church, and there was a great need of healing over and over again. And the text will also tell us how the church received the healing and repented and was reformed and did some repairing. And through that healing has been able to extend the truth of the gospel to millions of people generation after generation. And once we receive the divine healing, what comes from a spirit filled and driven by Jesus Christ, how that healing can then be the way for us to transform or heal what is happening horizontally or in our context. So today I'm going to do a, a summary of four chapters. So it's a very brief summary of chapters 6 through 9. And then I'll park in the verse 27 through 31 of the book of Acts. So in chapter 6, the first few verses, we are introduced to a man. His name is Stephen. And this man is selected out of the need of more leadership. So quickly after the Pentecost, the disciples are overwhelmed with the healing, with the teaching, speaking prophetically and extending the good news. So they need more help. They're short on staff. And they have a meeting, there's a gathering, and they're seeking more people to step up to the plate. And Stephen is one of those, and in verse 5 it says, Stephen, a selected man endowed by the Holy Spirit with exceptional faith. Verse 8 reads, Stephen stood out among the believers... For the way of God's grace was at work in his life and for his exceptional endowment with divine power who was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He's doing great work. And as you know, with great work, great responsibility, there may be great judgment and evaluation coming his way. And sure enough, verse 9, opposition arose. Verse 10, the opposition couldn't resist the wisdom the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. So they stirred the crowd. They presented false witnesses. They caught him, took him before the Jerusalem's council, which is the law and the order of the time. Chapter 7, he is questioned. He has to stand before the council and the witnesses, and he's questioned, and it says, are these accusations true? 
when you go to chapter 7, verses 2 through 58, that's a lot of verses, you will hear the monologue. So Stephen begins to answer, providing the entire story of his purpose for preaching the gospel. Verse 60, falling to his knees, Stephen shouted, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. I hope that sounds familiar to another man who held, was held on the cross and said, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And you see, the reason why Stephen is saying, Lord, don't hold this sin against them, it's because he is dying. He is being stoned to death. Chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was in full agreement with Stephen's murder. Saul believed wholeheartedly what he was fighting for. His belief system aligned with his vocation, and his role in that society was to persecute Christians, any and everyone who opposed the civil law of the time. And this is the man that you may know as the one who then is transformed by God and is known as the great apostle Paul. So the church in Jerusalem continues to be persecuted. Meanwhile, we're almost there. Chapter 9, verse 1. Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest seeking letters, meaning the authorization, the law, to the synagogues in Damascus. If he found persons who belonged to the way, capital W, so Jesus, the way, whether men or women, those letters would authorize Saul to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem, to be imprisoned, to be tortured, to be killed. Verse 3, chapter 9, during his journey, Saul heading to Damascus to get the authorization, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him and he encounters Jesus. Saul needed healing because literally he couldn't see. And Saul needed healing of the heart because of what you just heard, the horrific things he did. And Saul begins the work of the transformation, the changed. He tried to join the disciples in Jerusalem, but they were afraid of him. Could you blame them? It makes total sense that they, were, uh, they could not trust Saul. And verse 27 through 31, which is where I'm going to park this morning. Barnabas, one of the disciples and leaders who's known as an encourager, is asked to come and mediate. So Barnabas gets involved. He becomes a vessel of healing, of intercession, of mediation. How? Barnabas tells the story, and please read it. Please take the time to read it. But Barnabas tells the story of how Jesus enlightened Saul and how Saul is being healed. Barnabas described the change and talked about it with confidence 
and talked about the confidence in how Saul was now speaking, the authority that Saul was now conveying on behalf of the Holy Spirit was not like before, that coerced, that brutal way of convincing people. Now he was filled with the Holy Spirit, talking about a change and a healing that he first experienced. And Barnabas here, made me think of persons in our community that maybe could be vessels of healing. I am so glad to have you with us. Thank you for sharing this moment with us. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you can share with us a little bit about yourself and also as a Christian person with a vocation, with a calling, I believe, to help people. Is it possible for people, for communities to change? And if so, how can we work towards healing? Thank you, Nanette, for being with us. Thank you for asking me. Um, many of you know me. Um, I'm part of your church family. My name is Nanette Vitale. Um, I've been coming here for a long time, and it was in this process that I did find my calling. And I currently am an LCSW, and I work in a private practice, um, which meets the needs of many people. Um, I see people from ages 12 to 90, and sometimes those are the most uh, interesting people because in life, there's this process of forgiveness, and in order to heal, there has to be some willingness, some choice, um, and it just begins with that desire, reaching out to uh, someone different, someone that you might see in pain. It could be even a family member. It could be someone you work with. It's important to um, be present, be mindful. We can, especially as a Christian community, remember how often Jesus forgave we can consider putting our biases aside. We can pause and give opportunity for other people to share their experiences so possibly we begin to find hope together. What does forgiveness entail? Interesting, there's a really good definition. And when you think about forgiveness, it's the willingness to create a, a new starting place. So somebody does something to someone. Someone has a point of view or a negative opinion. Um, they work internally to change their bias, to change the illness, so to say, that insi that's inside of them. Desire and choice, that begins a process. It really isn't any more than that. You just have to have some intention and, and mean to want to see somebody else heal, um, experience the, the joys and the peace that we receive from our Father in heaven. We can help share that in the Holy Spirit with the community, with each other. And, and I think very possibly it starts from within so that we can then go out. What is it about 
things that happened so long ago that stay with us and I think they're forgotten or it's no longer applicable. And then to my surprise, it's as raw as if it happened to me yesterday. Can you speak to what, what does that say about our human nature? Um, we would rather attempt to push it down, deny it, stuff it, um, versus processing it. We, ha we don't want to think that there's uh, something wrong, uh, experience the, the pain again, but when feelings aren't processed and trauma is left in a person and it's continually suppressed or denied, it doesn't go away. And it takes events of today to just ricochet those old emotions back with the current situations. When we see people exploding because they're emotionally so overwhelmed by the events of the day, it's because it didn't just start today. It started from when they were born. They, they've had to manage themselves in a way that, you know, you, you have to, you just have to be open. You have to consider everybody's trails, but process and therapy, and I, I don't push therapy, but the truth is when people have this recall, negative recall, and it mixes in with what's going on now. Many times, outside events will bring about a memory, um, a hard time, a difficult time, and, and talking about it and, and owning it and letting it go gives you the opportunity to have new feelings, um, a, a freedom. Do you forget? N no. Time might dull it, but that's not necessarily a part of forgiveness. And we have so much to offer to one another, aside from the food. Food is always good, <laughs> but we, we come with such diversity, so we all come with something else. So what you'll bring will be a piece of the pie, and what I can bring could be another piece of the pie. And, and we could continue to go that with what we can't do alone together, we might really start to gain some new insight, which enables us to have a broader view, which reduces our fears and insecurity, and which gets rid of the biases, because we must get rid of the biases, and we start with not denying that they're there. Because we've all grown up with family, friends that just, they had problems with different people, different nationality, different religions. Um, it's, it's common. So being intentional to surrender the old, confess that it didn't work, uh, ask for forgiveness, and then start new with new information and new responses because you'll hear it differently. It, it, it'll, it'll sink in. It'll be absorbed in a different way. We know in the word of God through Jesus Christ 
we can be transformed. We can be healed. And such healing within us, starting with our own souls and hearts, can then make a difference. And we are to be vessels of healing. And God calls us to bear witness to the powerful transformation that does happen through Jesus Christ. Are we convinced that there is brokenness, doubt, dullness, injustice, pain in our lives? Yes. Are we convinced that there can be healing through Jesus Christ? I sure hope so. So as we transition to the last act of worship, may you join in that song and do it in a prayerful way, asking earnestly and genuinely, Lord, draw me close to you. We need Jesus. Thank you so much, Nanette. Thank you, God, for being the source of healing. God bless you. <laughs>